All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am very excited to talk about last night's Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the, De- or the Brooklyn Nets final score, 124-101. Very excited about this one, and it's a good place to begin uh, for I think what is going to be the next step of the Nuggets season. We'll be able to talk about that a little bit for sure. Uh, but I am excited about where the season is to go from here. And I think that a big reason for that is a couple of the young guys off the bench learning how to play. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Peyton Watson. We'll talk about Christian Brown. We'll talk about Julian Strother. In the second segment, we're going to talk about the starters in the first segment because that's what's supposed to happen here. And we could talk about Nikola Jokic getting a good whistle. Uh, I, I feel like I, I played a, a minor infinitesimal part of that. So that's a uh, that's a good sign of things to come. And then we'll talk about Jokmas in the third segment as well, which I'm sure everyone wants to celebrate on here. And I'm excited to be able to do that. So Hope everybody's having a great day. If you can, please hit that like button, that subscribe button down below. Would absolutely help. Share out the podcast, share out the program. We continue to grow the Mile High Sports YouTube channel every single day. And it has been awesome to be able to work with my guys on that. So good stuff for sure. Uh, Chad is bumping. Very excited to see. Uh, What's up, Cedric? What's up, uh, Nadine? What's up, Andy? And truth tellers back to to share the the uh, uncomfortable truth at times. It's great. All right, let's talk about the starters. Let's talk about Nikola Jokic, and I think a a great place to start with this one. Uh, Jokic gets a triple double. He gets his 115th triple double of his NBA career. I believe that is the seventh straight season of him accumulating ten triple doubles in a season which breaks Oscar Robertson's record for triple doubles in consecutive seasons, who had who previously had six consecutive seasons like that. Uh, that's an incredible number, obviously. That's a, an awesome place for Denver to be, and it's an awesome place for Jokic to be. It just continues to show how consistent he has been, how dominant he has been, and how all-encompassing the numbers have been for him. Uh, he has 26 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, did collect the steal as well, and his defense last night was really, really good. Uh, that's a that's where the conversation probably has to start. Whenever Jokic gets ejected in a game, it's fascinating to see what the next steps are. Usually he's on good behavior. He's trying to be out there for his team. He's playing really hard. He's going to do the work. He's going to do the right things. And I think he just, like, he was really frustrated with the way things had happened over the course of these last couple days. So it's nice to see him uh, bounce back and and really just show up for the team in a big, big way. Uh, Jokic was great. Jokic was very, very good. 8 of 12 from the field, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. And that's the number that I think a lot of people will focus on for sure. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my timeline personally on Twitter or X. Um, I asked Michael Malone last night prior to the game about officiating 
And he was very candid. He was very open and honest about what that conversation was like and what he was doing and, and sort of what the Nuggets were doing to try to get Nikola Jokic a better whistle. Uh, obviously, I've been pushing this uh, this narrative a little bit. Hey, Jokic hasn't gotten a great whistle. I did a podcast about it uh, earlier a couple days ago. And with Jokic, I think that he has been on the rough side of this whistle for these last, especially these last few games, like worse than ever before. Um, and so Malone was very candid and open. He said, yeah, we're go- we've gone to the league. We are going to the league. We are showing them specific plays. We are showing them why we are frustrated, what we think is a foul, what is not being called. And they've been very vocal about it behind the scenes. Now, the Nuggets are not a team that is going to make a big public display. Um, but I think that that was their public display, me asking that question and Malone giving that answer. That is what's going to happen. They're, they're not going to share out a private report of them going to the league. They're not going to do anything like that. But I think the message was received. And Jokic like, was clearly given like the benefit of the doubt last night by the referees. Like he was in a, like, that, re- that relationship was great. Zach Zarba was the crew chief. Brett Barnicky was on there. He's done a couple games. Uh, the other guy, I don't, I don't remember his name, but he's he, pretty new to the thing. Uh, but Zach Zarba is one of the best crew chiefs out there. Like he just is. And it is interesting to see how when everybody's looking for it and when everybody's trying to take care of Jokic in that manner, that he gets 12 free throws in three quarters and uh, dominates a smaller team like he should. And honestly, I thought he got the benefit of the doubt on both sides where he only finished with two fouls, despite the fact that he was playing some pretty physical involved defense on on the other side of things where Brooklyn was attacking the rim and he was defending the rim. He was really, really going hard and he was playing physically on the offensive end, too, where I don't think he would have gotten. I don't think he would have gotten called for offensive fouls or anything like that, but maybe loose ball fouls or something like it, it was interesting to see. And, and the refs, every time there was contact near Jokic or around Jokic or on Jokic, they were very focused on getting that call right. And I do think that there was some sort of mandate that was put down by the league that said, hey, do not let that guy get ejected again. For the love of God, do not let that guy get ejected. He cannot get ejected. He cannot get frustrated. And I thought that they blew the whistle pretty much. <laughs> maybe maybe even too much on, on some of the, the shots that Jokic had. But look, I'm not going to complain. Like This is the other side of the coin where Denver had received a bad whistle before with Jokic. Now they're receiving a good whistle in this last game with Jokic. That was a great sign, I think. Now, how long does that last? I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it is interesting to think about from a a macro perspective for Denver. Is this real? Is it not real? Uh, we'll we'll see over the course of these next few games. Jamal Murray, pretty good in this one, especially on the defensive end. Three steals and a block in 22 minutes. That's a great, great number. Uh, Denver as a team only allowed eight of 30 from three. That was a mandate from Michael Malone saying, hey, we need to be better defending the three-point line. Well, mission accomplished with Murray and Justin Holiday, who combined for seven steals. And 
Brooklyn forced several turnovers and unforced errors in a lot of ways, passing the ball like to like right to Denver's defense, passing the ball out of bounds. Uh, it was very, very interesting to see. Um, but Murray was great on the defensive end. Offensively, he was... I thought the, the scoring meter was turned up all the way and the passing meter probably wasn't. Although there were some passes that he threw to Michael Porter that Porter just bricked on the perimeter. Um, there were some times where, hey, he found Jokic in the pocket. Jokic maybe missed one floater. Uh, but Murray finishes the game with 16 points, two assists, three steals, one block, and seven of 15 from the field, two of four from three. Uh, Murray's three-point percentage continues to be great. He's above 45% from three now. Like, that's crazy to see. And his trigger when he gets the ball out there is very interesting. But he continues to work the ball into the mid-range, into the floater zone. Hasn't been as efficient from there. And I'm wondering if he's just trying to work through that. Like, he knows that the three-pointer is going down. But it's more about getting the rest of his game up to snuff, which... It's he's still only like his 12th game, so I'm not really surprised there. Justin Holiday, as I mentioned, great defense himself, had four steals. Uh, the three-point percentage was not good, 0 of 5 from three, and they were all pretty open. They were shots that I think he's got to make in the future. Um, I thought that there was potentially a time where he wouldn't finish the game because... Um, because the shot just wasn't going down. Like He was getting some pretty wide-open shots. So he'll have to be better on that. And Denver's starting lineup in general is going to have to be better spacing the floor. Like that's just going to be a fact, but we will see what happens with, uh, with Justin holiday. He is a like legitimately the ideal spot starter in the NBA because he just fits in around what Jokic and Murray are going to do and is perfectly comfortable taking the fewest amount of shots in that starting lineup next to Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter and, Porter missed some shots here. Like that, that was something that he probably could have been better at. Some of the wide open shots for Porter didn't go down, but uh, he still got involved on the glass and also had a really nice pass in transition and a, a really nice sequence that Denver had. Jokic gets the ball on the break, spins away from an incoming defender, loops the ball over to Porter, who then no looks it over to Aaron Gordon for a reverse dunk in transition. That was a fun sequence. And I think a nice emblematic sequence of Denver finding some comfort level at home, finding some transition play at home. They were getting out in transition a lot last night. And it wasn't just the bench. It was the starters too. And finally, as I mentioned, Aaron Gordon, a good night for Aaron Gordon, a nice kind of renaissance moment for Aaron Gordon. And over the course of these last three games, he has really brought the energy, brought the physicality played a nice brand of basketball in the interior. Uh, basically, ever since that Houston game, uh, he has been way better. And I like seeing this. I think that he should continue to try to punish the Cam Johnsons and Mikhail Bridges and the Spencer Dinwiddies of the world. He shouldn't let those guys off the hook. And he's got to be more comfortable with the free throw. So over the past three games, if I'm not mistaken, he has shot four of five, three of four, and one of one from the free throw line, which great to see. That's that's a nice bounce back from Aaron Gordon. Let me just uh, actually just check his overall free throw percentage now for everybody so I don't act like I'm crazy. At one point, it was under 52%. Now 
Aaron Gordon's back to 52.4%. It still still needs work. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't, but he has to, like, that's going to be part of his next evolution is getting back to that place where he is shooting a good, efficient percentage from free throw range. And he can. He can absolutely do that. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk about the bench. We'll talk about a group that has been very, very good of late, surprisingly so, and something that I'm really excited about, Peyton Watson having a career night himself. But first, folks, did you know that you could refer a friend and earn a $50 bonus this season with Superbook Sports? Uh, Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering, and you do not want to miss their refer a friend bonus. All you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile in the Superbook app. Share the promo code with your friends and you will get a $50 bonus for every single person who registers using your code. So win money wagering and win money referring with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLE. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. Really appreciate all of the support on the show. Uh, Ryan is underrated AF. That is awesome. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I, I think I'm underrated AF as well. I think uh, I think there is, there's a, a Ryan renaissance coming, folks, just like for the Nuggets bench, uh, just like for the second unit for Denver, and it's been interesting tracking the second unit because for a long time, and especially through the 16 to 20 games or so for Denver, it, it was the same story as last year, right? And it still kind of is. I don't want to just use the last three or so games as the only measuring stick here. But I do think that, <laughs> Nadine says, <laughs> Ryan and the Nuggets bench are karmically connected. I, I You know what? It's not bad. I, I do understand it. I do get it. Like we are, we are perpetually young and kind of inexperienced and figuring things out. And, and now we're, we're starting to really get it here. We're starting to really get it. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I'm 27 years old. It's, it's hard for me to think about that. I am now a veteran in my prime in the NBA. That's uh, that is scary. Um, Nuggets bench. For the first 16 to 20 games, they really struggled. They really struggled to figure out the rhythm, whether it was Zeke Najian as the backup center. Peyton Watson was still trying to figure out who he was. Christian Brown was up and down. The beginning of the season, he wasn't shooting well. Then he was shooting well. Then he wasn't shooting well. Uh, Reggie Jackson was moved to the starting lineup, so they were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do with Julian Strother? Is Jalen Pickett or Colin Gillespie going to be a thing? How are we going to handle this? And then over these last few games, you start to see them kind of settle down. You start to see them kind of figure it out. And I want to start with Peyton Watson, who is the title on this podcast for a reason. He is growing up, man. Like, it is very, very interesting to see Peyton Watson in this role. He's becoming the seventh man. Reggie Jackson's the sixth man. Peyton Watson's the seventh man. Christian Brown and Julian Strother are splitting eighth man duties right now. At least if you're paying attention to the minutes per game. And here's why. First eight games of the season, Peyton Watson was at 16.3. He was the seventh man, eighth man, actually the eighth man. 
behind uh, Reggie Jackson at six and Christian Brown at seven. The next eight games, 11.4, 11.4 minutes per game. He was not in a good spot. And for whatever reason, just not playing that well, not necessarily figuring out how to use him, but also not figuring out what he needs to do in order to be an impactful player, in order to be the necessary kind of catalyst for what the Nuggets need off the bench. The last eight games, beginning with the Clippers game on the road without Jokic, 21.5 minutes per game. 21.5. That may not seem like a crazy difference, but you're going from 16 to 11 to 21. And that to me is very emblematic of, hey, you've become the eighth man versus you've become the 10th man versus you've become the sixth or seventh man here over the course of these last few games. Peyton Watson is a guy that Michael Malone is counting on and Peyton Watson just rewarded him with the best performance of his career. 18 points, seven of 10 from the field, two of five from three, seven rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block. They took away a block for some reason. Um, This was the best performance of his career, especially if you look at game score. Game score has him uh, for basketball reference as this is his best performance. And I am not surprised because this is the exact kind of game that Peyton should excel in, where you have a kind of a mishmash of Brooklyn Nets players but they're on the second of a back-to-back third game in four nights at altitude. This is the exact kind of environment for Peyton Watson to shine because there isn't a ton of pressure on him. And after playing extremely well over these last few games, defending DeMar DeRozan really well, switching on to Trey Young, getting Trey Young ejected in Atlanta. Uh, he's had games against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. He's had games against Kevin Durant and De'Aaron Fox and all of these different matchups. He's had many awesome performances over these last eight games. And this was kind of the culmination of that where, hey, he's comfortable in his own skin. He knows that the minutes are coming as long as he does what he's supposed to do. And he now started shooting threes. He got up some threes. That was interesting to see. He had been four of 22 from the three-point range, like 18% over the course of his first 25 games. Last night, he goes two of five. Last night, he hits two threes. And is the three-point back? No. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that the three-pointer is back because more often than not, coming off the bench, he's going to get two threes every game. Like, And maybe he'll even attempt one, maybe he'll attempt three, but most likely it's going to be about two threes again. So he's going to have to try to go one of two more than he goes 0 of two. And that will be kind of the delineation between just how good of a three-point shooter he can be. But it just comes with comfort, right? Like you start, you see what he looks like in his first eight. You see what he looks like in his second eight. Then you'll see what he looks like in his last eight games. And it just looks like a different player. And the Nuggets are trusting him more. And that is a really, really interesting piece. Truth Tyler says... Um, should the Nuggets go for P.J. Tucker? Uh, Matt Moore said the Nuggets may try to get P.J. Tucker. I haven't talked to Matt. I actually saw Matt last night, and he's... He, <laughs> love Matt. He uh, he was getting roasted by Nikola Jokic postgame. It was very funny. Um, 
No, I, I think that PJ Tucker is an interesting player and he would be an interesting match for Denver. Denver can't afford him on his current contract. He would have to be bought out because I don't think that a lot of teams are going to be super interested in trading for PJ Tucker on his current cap figure, uh, which I believe is close to like 10 million or something around there. I think if I were Denver, I would wait for the buyout market because the Clippers are, they're figuring some stuff out. PJ Tucker's clearly not in their plans right now. He has not played well, uh, but he is still somebody as a veteran, as a front court player that he would be very interesting as kind of a mix and match option for Denver or somebody who could like, it wouldn't surprise me if they decide, yeah, Hey, Peyton Watson, you're still a little young, even as awesome as this performance has been. Maybe PJ Tucker is a guy who could step in next to an Aaron Gordon in a second unit in the playoffs. Um, now what I will say, Peyton Watson's played great and, and he does deserve a runway here. He does deserve an opportunity to continue to prove himself. This is a conversation about PJ Tucker that should be had in on February 1st, basically, because the uh, the actual buyout market gets started after the trade deadline, basically, which is about February 10th. And so you start to have this conversation on February 1st. And if Peyton Watson has played himself into a position where you don't need a guy like PJ Tucker, that doesn't surprise me. Like There are some things that Peyton Watson can do that PJ Tucker probably can't. And also, if you acquire a guy like PJ Tucker, then it might short circuit your long-term plans for a guy like Peyton Watson. Now, is that fair if like to the rest of the team if you are if you are trying to become the best team that you can be? I don't know. But we will we will see. Uh, Nadine asks, can Piwat be a starter one day? I believe he can. I believe that the actually I don't know if I should share this or not. My impression is that there is a pathway for Denver where Peyton Watson starts next to Michael Porter at the four. Michael Porter becomes the four long-term and Aaron Gordon eventually moves to a sixth man role. That's my impression of something that could happen in a couple years. I don't necessarily want to say that is going to happen because plans change, players change. Maybe Peyton Watson doesn't develop into that. But I think there's at least a possibility that that is on the table for Denver. Um, We'll see what happens. And maybe Michael Porter's the guy that they don't value as much. And maybe they decide, you know what? We need a three-point spacer. So Julian Strother, you're in there next to Aaron Gordon. And that makes more sense for Denver. I don't know. I think it's fascinating to think about, though. I think that's a that is an interesting one. Uh, what I do say is that saying he could be the starter is possible. Saying that he should or will be the starter, definitely putting the cart before the horse. And I know that's not what you're doing, but I think that that's it's at least an interesting question to ask for the long term vision of what the Nuggets are going to be. Uh, I have a a strong inkling that that has at least been talked about. Christian Brown's dunk. We'll move on now. Christian Brown's dunk was amazing against Armani Brooks. He was uh, just on his head completely in transition. That was a really cool moment. Christian Brown playing pretty well. Two blocks last night. 
uh, no steals. The, interesting that the box work has, it completely changes from last night to this morning because both Peyton Watson and Christian Brown had one steal and two blocks. Now Peyton Watson has one steal and a block. Christian Brown has zero steals and two blocks. Um, plus seven last night for Christian Brown in 24 minutes, four of 10 from the field, four rebounds, two assists, a good all-around performance. I do think that he, like I said, he has, like his minutes have actually reflected being the seventh or eighth man lately as opposed to the sixth or seventh man. And it's interesting to think about that. Uh, it doesn't really surprise me because if Denver has a backcourt guy in Reggie Jackson, their frontcourt guy is Peyton Watson. Christian Brown's kind of in the middle of that. So sometimes he might not necessarily be as essential. And when you've got a guy like Julian Strother, who's also playing pretty well, uh, I'm not surprised that Michael Malone's kind of reduced the overall number of Christian Brown minutes. Um, interesting to think about, though, like and from Denver's perspective, what are they going to be doing? What are they going to be looking for going forward? So. Uh, but Brown has been fine. He's been mostly good. And I, I think he's had a lot of great moments for Denver. Like this has been like, he's still <laughs> one of the things that bothers me when he's in transition is it. So when he's not dunking on people, which was super cool. And the reaction from the nuggets was great. And you should absolutely take a look at it if you haven't seen it. Uh, but for Christian, when he holds the ball below his waist, trying to keep it away from a defender, and then tries to get it up on the rim in transition, that to me is like a not great, that's a not great move. Sometimes he hits it. Most of the time he doesn't because he just doesn't have a lot of control from that position. So I think he eventually needs to get to a place where the ball is kind of at his shoulder as opposed to like down here. Like, it, look, I didn't play basketball at a high level. I don't want to like micromanage Christian Brown's decisions, believe me. But uh, that's something that if I were the Nuggets, I, I would be, they probably are already looking at because that could really help him in transition. Keeping the ball high, jumping over people, laying it up on the rim as opposed to trying to keep it away from a defender. Um, Reggie Jackson's hitting timely shots. I, th I saw a comment come through here. You know, it's amazing. Reggie Jackson, a better field goal percentage and three-point percentage than Bruce Brown and has more assists and rebounds. Uh, yeah, I, I think what people missed last year and what was very interesting about this year, during the regular season, Reggie Jackson is just as good of a player as Bruce Brown during the regular season. During the playoffs is going to be interesting, and I don't want to put the cart before the horse here because... Denver will miss that versatility that Bruce Brown provided them where he could be the one, the two, the three, or the four at any moment on any side of the floor. And that's good to see. Reggie can't really do that. But Denver doesn't really need him to do that if Christian Brown's going to improve, if Peyton Watson's going to be part of things, if Julian Strother's going to be part of things. And that was all ultimately the vision. Um, Denver's going to have to evolve a little bit. But... It's going to be fascinating to see Denver needed the backup point guard, and I think Reggie Jackson has really provided that. Last night he had 12 points, four assists, two steals, one turnover, and he continues to play a relatively efficient brand of basketball, four of 13 from the field last night, but most of the time he has been like relatively efficient and making good decisions, and the three-point percentage is really going down. So it's really interesting to see. Um, yeah, Cedric says, 
our bench guys are enough to make up for Bruce Brown leaving the Ryan. I, I think we are seeing the positive side of that right now, but we will see the negative side of that in January. And then we'll see the positive side in February. Then we'll see the negative side in January or in, in March. Like we will see the ups and downs of having the young bench because there are times where they will look better and there are times where they will look worse. Like Denver hasn't played a bunch of contenders on the road lately. They did play Phoenix, but they were without Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. So I'm at least watching that. I want to see what they look like when they go on the road to Minnesota again. I want to see what they look like when they go on the road to Boston or Milwaukee or Philly or a place like that. Um, What does it look like when they go on the road again to Sacramento? Like, how is that going to feel? And how are they going to respond? Like, I don't want to sit here and say that everything is hunky-dory because we just don't have enough evidence that it is or isn't. But there is progress being made. I do agree there. Julian Strother, I mentioned this before, but he has uh, been great as well. Not his most efficient performance last night. Eight points on three of 11 from the field, two of six from three. But uh, as he continues to get more comfortable with the floater, he is going to be a threat. The three-point percentage, especially in that fourth quarter, was really nice where he just got those shots up and the defense had to respect him out there. And he still made those shots anyway. So good to see from him. I do think that the floater has become a bit overrated. Like He actually doesn't make it as much as people want him to make it because despite the fact that it is his, like he says it's his most comfortable shot despite it not really going down that much during the games. I wonder, so Bruce Brown was like this last year in the regular season where the floater wasn't going down for Bruce Brown and then he made all of the necessary ones in the playoffs. Maybe that's what Julian Strother does. Maybe Julian Strother's just a gamer and is waiting for that moment. Um, Or maybe it's just too small of a sample size so far. So we will see. We will see what it looks like. Uh, DeAndre Jordan played a little bit, 12 minutes. He was the only guy in the negative last night. Not his best performance, but I'm also not sweating it. Like if there is going to be a weak link in Denver's rotation, it's going to be the backup center. So maybe that's another reason to go to go get a guy like P.J. Tucker, who you could play as a switch-everything backup center, who's a little bit more physical than a guy like a Zeke Nagy. Uh, But we will see. We'll see what they do. All right. Let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Yokemas. We're going to talk about uh, December 15th and why Denver is in a great position right now. But first, this message from Good Morning Broncos. Final segment, Big Axe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate all the love and support. Make sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button down below on the YouTube side. If you're listening on the audio side, thank you. Uh, it has been awesome to be able to do the show for you, and I'm very excited to see uh, where it continues to go from here as, as Mile High Sports continues to grow. All right. The Nuggets are in great position. We're going to talk about why, uh, but first I want to talk about Yokemas. Some folks might hear me say that, Yokemas, and they're like, what the hell is that? What are you talking about, Ryan? Is that even a word? Well, kind of. Uh, Yokemas, as some of you are aware, probably most of you are aware, is the anniversary of the day 
that Michael Malone started Nikola Jokic over Yusuf Nurkic back in 2016, seven years ago. It's been a long time. Uh, that was a that was a big moment for Denver in their history. Basically, Denver up through that point. It's funny. That's like 25 games into the season. Denver just played their 26th game tonight or last night. So interesting kind of symbolism there. But that's about how it's going to go during a normal regular season. Through the first 25 games of Denver's, um, of their 2015-16 or no, of their 2016-17 season, excuse me, they were nine and 16. They had benched Nikola Jokic after seven games because Nikola Jokic asked to be benched. He could sense that the pairing between him and Yusuf Nurkic was not working. Uh, Denver had been trying to go with the two center lineup. Then they tried to go with Yusuf Nurkic along with Emmanuel Moutier and uh, Kenneth Fareed for some reason. Obviously, that wasn't going to work. And it was very clear that Denver needed more spacing, that Denver needed more of a facilitator in there at the center spot, and Jokic was ready-made. He was also their best player. And it was pretty clear, at least from Michael Malone's perspective, that he had this realization. He he kind of romanticizes this a little bit because it was 25 games of which they were kind of struggling. Uh, but they played this game in Dallas, December 12th, 2016. Denver lost by like 30. They They lost by... A horrible number. And the there was one guy in a positive and the plus minus of that game. And it was Jokic. Denver was still playing well in the minutes where Jokic was playing. Despite the fact that the rest of the team was losing games by 20-30 points. And so Yo- Malone finally had enough. He switched Jokic into the starting lineup. It also coincided with Gary Harris coming back into the rotation after being injured. And Denver kind of rolled with this group. After Emmanuel Moutier went down with an injury, it was Jameer Nelson, Gary Harris, Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and Nikola Jokic. Kenneth Fareed came off the bench for a little bit. Emmanuel Moutier ultimately went to the bench, and Yusuf Nurkic went to the bench. And Nurkic was not happy with that. He was not happy with the way that his role diminished and eventually forced his way to the Portland Trailblazers in a famous game where he basically left the arena. while because he wasn't happy with his own like role on the team, he was getting a shorter and shorter amount of minutes because Jokic was just very good and Denver needed to win those minutes. And it's fascinating to think about because if Denver doesn't do that, where are they at right now? If they just can commit to Yusuf Nurkic, what does Jokic do? Does he get traded? probably gets traded to a place like Cleveland for Kevin Love. And Denver has Kevin Love as their starting power forward. They have Yusuf Nurkic as their starting center. Maybe they stay committed. They they drafted Jamal Murray, and Jamal was still on the, the roster that year. So it's probably a Murray-Kevin Love-Yusuf uh, Nurkic trio that they go with. And maybe Danilo Gallinari sticks around. But the ceiling of that group is just not good. Like it's it's a it's a six seed at best. And Denver's never gonna get past that, even like if Murray develops into a better star, like a, a like a more ball dominant star. It's just never going to work. 
And Denver probably never sees, like they certainly never see a championship, but they probably never even really see playoff success if we're being honest. And it is nice that they went the right direction and they committed to the unique talent and they were willing and able to do the things that they asked that they had to do and be weird because it was weird to commit to a center like that. It was weird to commit to a guy who couldn't really defend like Jokic really struggled with his defense at the beginning of his career. Denver that year, 2016, 17, they ranked 29th in defensive rating. <laughs> like It was a bad year, but their offense was awesome. And you could see the vision and Michael Malone had to have a lot of patience. He had to call in the cavalry with uh, Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig and different veterans over the years that could help Denver play a semblance of defense. And then the veterans ultimately figured it out, or the the young guys turned into veterans and figured it out. Jokic became a better defender. Murray became a better defender. Michael Porter, who like had a lot of questions about defense, became a better defender. And you get Aaron Gordon, you get KCP, and you turn it into a championship team. And they went through a lot of different variations of it, but it was really interesting to see Denver kind of make that transition. So... I always want to make sure that Nuggets fans know the history of this and why it's celebrated. What was the ramifications of it? Because it's very possible that Nikola Jokic is a Cleveland Cavalier. And so that would be a very interesting uh, change of history, if you will. Imagine him and Kyrie Irving trying to figure things out. (laughs) Him and LeBron James trying to figure things out. That'd be wild. That would be very interesting to see. So we will see how it continues to go from here. But um, the Nuggets are in a great position right now overall. They're the second seed in the West, despite the fact that they've struggled at various points, despite the fact that Murray has played such a limited amount of time. Uh, The Nuggets don't need to be the one seed in order to be a successful team, but they do need to be a home court advantage team at least in the first round. like They need to be a top four seed, in my opinion, in order to win. And I think that they will. I don't see any reason why they would be less than that at this stage. Because the bench has found some ways to contribute a little bit here. It is not just on the starters to be a great team. It, like They're going to provide the, the leg up in order to be that. But the difference between a, a really good team and a great team is a bench that can help you get those extra couple of wins. And last night, I think, was a great example of that. Did the bench do anything special last night? No. Like, Peyton Watson did have a career night, but it was 18.7 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, it was a good night. It was a really, really good night. It wasn't insane. But if there are more of those performances over the course of a year, where Denver, hey, Jamal Murray played 22 minutes last night. Aaron Gordon played 24 Michael Porter played 23. Jokic played 30. He barely cracked 30 minutes. If there are more performances like that throughout the year, it is going to prolong Denver's ability to play hard and to play well. And they're going to stay fresh. They're going to be better. And I think you're going to start to see them really rattle off some wins if they're able to do that. They're going to be able to commit to some of those road games if they can get these easy home wins. But you have to make that happen, and you can't let that pass through your fingers, in my opinion. So 
that is the next step for Denver. And Michael Malone actually mentioned this postgame to me. He said, the two things that I'm looking for over the course of these next few weeks or so, road wins, three-point defense. If Denver can get both of those things, they're going to be the one seed. And that's despite the fact that Minnesota is 18-5 and right now. Minnesota's really good. They might finish with 55 wins. But Denver has a chance to finish with more than that. Because if Denver stays on track with where they are right now, I mean, 16-9 and is a really, really good... Actually, they're 17-9. and So let's just do the math here. If Denver goes on pace for 17-9 and for the rest of the season, that would mean they finish with 54. They need to up that pace a little bit, but not that much. Not that much. Like they are they are very close, in my opinion, to being a team that can rattle off several win streaks in a row. Kind of like last year, where Denver kind of struggled a little bit for the first 20 to 25 games and then really got rolling in December, January, and February. If they can do that again this year, and the schedule actually, I think, makes it possible for that, then they're going to be a top two seed. I don't see other teams really competing with Denver and Minnesota at the top. I think Minnesota's really, really good. They're going to hit a, a really tough point here in their schedule. So we'll see whether they can maintain that. But I do think that they are tough enough and they know themselves well enough now that they're going to be a team that finishes with 50 to 55. Like, I, I do firmly believe that. Are they going to finish with more? Probably not. But that's okay, because Denver still has the, ce- the ceiling to do that too. So if I had to predict it right now, I'm going to predict that Minnesota probably finishes with the one seed, but Denver is right there, and that Minnesota gets like 54, and Denver gets 53 again. That would be my guess. I don't think anybody really pushes that. I don't think anybody really competes with that, but we'll see where it goes from here. It means what it what it really says to me is that those head-to-head matchups are going to matter. Denver plays Minnesota three times uh, going forward. They've already lost to them once, so they've got three more on the schedule. If they win two of those three, especially the home games, they'll be okay. If they win all three, that would be a big deal. I don't think that they will because I think Minnesota actually has some kryptonite there. If they win those head-to-head matchups, if Minnesota does, then Denver could probably kiss that head-to-head goodbye, or they could probably kiss the the one seed goodbye because I think Minnesota's good enough against the rest of the league with their defense. It's going to be hard to pass them. The good thing about Denver is they do not need to pass them in order to win a championship. They just need to be in a good spot. And 50 to 55 wins will do that. So we will see. We will see what happens. But folks, that is going to do it for this episode of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. I will be back with Weekends with Swipa at some point this weekend. Not sure when it's going to be. Still trying to figure out exactly when. But Denver plays a game on Saturday night. Uh, Maybe we'll do a show tomorrow prior to the game. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but we will see. Swipe is in town and we're trying to hang out, but I've got a family obligation tonight and some of tomorrow. Actually, yeah, I, I won't be able to do it tomorrow either. Uh, so got some things to figure out, but that is okay. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button down below. Again, appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. 
I will talk to you guys very soon.